Welcome, everybody, to the debut edition of Fear and Loathing and Uncle Buck here on Die First, Then Quit. Uh, we are brand new debuting. We were moving over from Clubhouse right here to Die First, Then Quit. I am Tyrell Ventura, joined by my fellow, fellow, wonderful, beautiful, exciting, magnificent, intelligent, iconic co-hosts who couldn't be here tonight so instead i have nice jeff moore and josh <laughs> Young with me. uh but anyway fellas introduce yourselves jeff you first awesome josh no no ah, jeff. Okay. no look at that no it's a ah, minnesota nice ah. app <laughs> okay all right here we go here we go all right i'll do it i'll do it hey guys how's it going thanks so much for tuning in i'm l jeffrey moore i have done podcasts in the past and you know filmmaker actor you haven't seen me but you can google me i'm somewhere in the interwebs and uh just glad to be be on board nice uh i'm joshua young i'm a rube that just happens to be friends with the right people True. <laughs> i've been a film aficionado for years and years um one would say i mildly acted in a tyrell ventura film in uh, eighth grade still holding on to that uh not Googleable, but maybe just not what I'd want to have out there. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, was those there was those early snuff films that we did at twelve? I survived them all. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So here on Fear and Loathing and Uncle Buck, we will be covering everything from pop culture to cinema to television to film to whatever the hell strikes our fancy during the day. We will also be introducing uh, film commentary that we'll play here on separate things that you'll see with the three of us and maybe special guests talking about some films in the future. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think we've we've honed it pretty well, but I think we got to kick things off and I I haven't pre-planned or pre-diagrammed how this will all go. Uh, the lovely co-hosts have no idea what I'm about to throw at them in terms of uh, topics today, but we will see how they riff on these topics. Uh, topic number one is, as we all know, that there is a major writer's strike going on in Hollywood right now, so prepare yourselves for a lot more Iron Man 2s than Iron Man 1s. Uh, we all know that big, some of the big problems <laughs> with Iron Man 2 uh, resulted in the writer's strike happening halfway through production uh, way back in the day. That's so that's right. why suddenly you had a very odd kind of, you know, good dialogue, then bad dialogue, good plot twist, and it kind of felt a little meandering for a little they bit. They crossed there. the streams. That's what they, they did. They crossed the, the streams. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so right now there's a major writer's strike going on, which I am all in favor of yes. because the writers are fighting to get paid uh, the money they're owed because of streaming. Um, but I wanted to throw this at you guys. Big headline. Seth MacFarlane quits Family Guy amid the Hollywood writers' strike. He is Whoa. stepping down from Family Guy. Uh, him and showrunners Brian Boyle, Matt Weitzman, Rich Appel, and Alex Sulkin uh, walked out uh, in support of the Writers Guild strike. Good for them. Uh, so this is they yeah. wrapped up their 21st season. Uh, and, you know, when they spit those out every year, you can walk out, even though if you just wrapped it up in May, you know, you're going to start planning again in probably June or July, uh, especially when you do as many episodes as they do on those shows. So, you know, what are you guys' thoughts on Seth MacFarlane essentially walking out on Family Guy uh, in solidarity with the striking writers? You know, it, in the beginning, there was the word. And 
that's what we all have to stick with in regards to storytelling. And because of the new platform of streaming, these these guys and gals or whatever are not able to pay their bills. I was reading an article about what what you know what they're having to go through and you know basically they're really just asking for just a small bump and from what i understand you know they're not really getting residuals from streaming you know networks and the whole schedule is kind of wacky because a streaming production schedule is way different than a regular production schedule on on network you know tv so in regards to what the schedule is what the pay is as well as what they're able to, you know, produce in that short amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. They need to get paid. Just pay them so they can eat. <laughs> I think one, there's a large faction of people that will instantly throw this to Hollywood people and somehow equate this to an actor, you know, saying I can't feed my family. When reality is these are the real people. I would challenge you to write something <laughs> effectively. Um, and like, <laughs> these are the blue collar people that make everything we enjoy go. So I'm super happy to hear Seth MacFarlane did that. Cynic in me? Cool. In 2002, this would have been a big deal. Uh, in 2023, uh, you know, I would challenge, are you still watching Sunday Fox 9? Like, at the end of the day, I think it's good. It's a small shot. You know what I mean? I think it's cool seeing all the people joining the picket. And, you know, it's... Capitalism bleeds into everything. So I'm all in for the working man's rights. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because uh, I think it's easy for people to get distracted and think that everybody in Hollywood who works there is rich. Because, you know, we, we're, really, we're really, and that partly that's Hollywood's fault because, I mean, you know, we're, the first thing people talk about is how much money did the movie make or how much is this actor getting paid or whatever. You know, money is always like at the forefront and it's always followed by like, you know, five, eight, seven zeros, you know, behind every figure you hear. So I think people kind of forget that idea that like for the one or five percent of the people who are making a shit ton of money in Hollywood, there's like another 80 percent of people who work consistently. But it's not like they're bringing home big time bank. Exactly. Uh, your grips, your writers, you know, from the creative end of the production side, you know, you're talking about working class people at the end of the day. And God knows from everybody that I've talked to still is living in Los Angeles and all of that. It's expensive as fuck to live out there right now. Yeah. And so there's a lot of writers who, you know, will work a season on a show, get in the WGA, get in the guild, and they're not getting paid enough. You know, they're still scraping by living check to check. Uh, and yet their show could be this like massive hit on Netflix or HBO or something like that. And they're sitting here going like, well, when, when's my money rolling in? And because Netflix is not sharing, you know, the number of views to show how big of a hit something is. It's because mm-hmm. it's crypto. <laughs> it's, it's, it, I mean, it basically is. Yeah. There's two things that I thought that are interesting that I'd love to hear you guys kind of react to is a a lot of the problems that you're seeing today that thankfully the Writers Guild is standing up for and fighting against, uh, the Screen Actors Guild dropped the ball on. Shocker. 
Mm. Like in their negotiations, they didn't even try to like fight for streaming rights really that hard. Because in the old days, like you would do, let's say one season of TV or a movie. And then every time that movie got played, like it would play on, let's say ABC or one of the major networks. And then let's say TBS would pick up the series and do it in reruns. Right. And so you get, you'd make a bulk of your money, maybe not initially on that first show on the, on the network channel, but you'd make a ton of residual money. Syndication money syndication money yeah. yeah um the actors never really fought for that their guild didn't really fight for for streaming money because the streaming giants all said well we don't really know how to keep track of like how many people view the shows oh my god i don't even and, like you know that. we don't know like how do you find a number that counts as a view is it five minutes of watching is it 30 minutes of watching like yeah obviously if someone sits down and watches the whole show that'd count as a view but you know it got into this kind of minutia of like well what counts as an actual view well let me just say this five minutes counts five minutes <laughs> counts gentlemen <laughs> well two minutes two minutes two minutes just the credits just the credits Man, I don't know what y'all are watching, but... <laughs> hey, man, I'm Glass House, Jeff, Glass House. I don't throw no stuff. No, God, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, but think about... Okay, I'm thinking about it this way. Like, with uh, YouTube and their analytics in regards to what YouTubers do, I'm guessing that because all of that stuff is measurable, if a viewer watches at least a couple of seconds that's trackable on YouTube. So some kind of pay has to come, you know, out of that, like a culmination of five minute views. Like if all that happens, then yeah, that should go towards, okay, well say a million people watched five minutes. Well, how long is the show? It's 30 minutes. Okay. Well, if a million people watch five minutes, whatever equals up to 30 minutes, that should count as a whole view. I think it's really easy. And of course, you know, like if if three guys who are, you know, prancing around the interwebs, you know, talking about shit like this can like think some shit up, surely some big exec making, you know, a gazillion dollars can <laughs> can come up with a solution. They don't want to figure it out. They they oh, don't no, not at all. Because they're overinflating. You have two ways of looking at this for me. You have the overinflators, the Netflix and everybody else who throws a bunch of money out there throw out these big numbers, but they're not really reporting anything. So it's all made up. And then you've got the others like NBC back Peacock who might be getting murdered on streaming. And they're like, well, we don't want to put out our numbers either. Cause we can, if they're making it up, we can make it up. And so you don't want, nobody wants to show their actual hand because somebody is bluffing mm -hmm. and somebody's probably holding a lot. And then at the end of the day, all the, everybody's accepted their shit pay until you don't accept it anymore. Well, what's interesting about it too is is let's say a show, you know, is a runaway smash, the 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 streaming services are making, you know, some serious money. Uh but their argument's going to be, yeah, but if we have to start cutting checks to all the writers and then soon the actors will come on board and soon the directors will come on board, you know, all the all the unions will suddenly say, "Hey, if you gave it to the writers, you got to give it to us." And then they're going to they're going to basically yeah. cry poor mouth like, yo, man, uh, we can't afford that in that huge tidal wave of like suddenly money that we got to dole out that we weren't handing yeah. out before. You know, I always go back to what they pay for the office to be on Peacock or Netflix. And then second, it's like when I heard hospitals bitch about we can't really afford like ran by health partners. And it's like, yeah, I don't want to hear 
that somehow you're losing money because you know BP still pumping oil and they're making money. <laughs> so uh, right, you know, heaven forbid. But I don't know. The other part of it though is the machine is running, man. We're all tied to a log and we're in a sawmill and it's coming right for us. I don't know if you can yeah. stop it. This is the only effective James Bond murder machine that we are in, which is capitalism. <laughs> so, right. Well, that's the thing. And capitalism is dictated by growth. That is the only measurement that is, um, that is used in regards to success, right? And so success is measured on growth. And so if a company is not seeing any growth, then no, it's not making any money. And so they're beholden to what the shareholders yeah. and that's it. So, you know, writers can kiss their asses as much as, you know, as far as like they're concerned. The other dangerous or interesting thing is when do we get our first chat GPT written episode done? <laughs> Where they just, I mean, why, if, if you are already, you know, WNBC, if I'm taking it back, if you get that reference, but if you're already <laughs> and you don't care, why be like, let's see what this thing does. Very, very true. Yeah. Very, very yeah. true. Well, that is a very interesting uh, concept because in regards to AI, like, and it's literally able to write a full thing. Like I was actually toying around with uh, doing, you know, like faceless YouTube videos. And I literally asked chat GPT to write a five minute script on intermittent fasting and mm. five seconds. Boom. I was like, mm. well, shit. And how was it? It was decent. Like Dude, game it's over, basic. Game yeah, over. it's basic. Yeah. <laughs> you got Harrison Ford looking like he's 45 coming up in a movie and you have Chad DVD writing a script. Ooh, boy. I'll just add this real quick note on that is I think people need to also remember though that AI is also very beholden to who its programmer is. Also, we have to always remember it's a tool and we have to use it like a tool. Maybe it'll work, maybe it won't, uh, especially when it comes to filmmaking. But at the end of the day, I'm not too frightened of it because I think you'll still be able to kind of tell the difference between somebody who's writing human emotion and writing it well and somebody who's just plugging in, uh, say, this computer you know, and then hoping that it, that it writes correctly. Yeah. I mean, until William Goldman is designing an AI or Quentin Tarantino or, you know, one of the, you know somebody really knows how to write. Quentin's AI is racist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I wanted to I wanted to switch gears to Fast and Furious X reviews are out. Say it fast. Oh, is Say it the out? Title fast. Fast and Furious X. There you go. Fast and Furious Fast X. Ten. Fast yeah. and Furious Sex is uh, Fast Ten is out. I was hoping it was the crossover of, of Fast and Furious and Triple X, but it wasn't. No, nope. um, oh, they are out. Would you guys like to hear what some of the reviews are? I mean, sure. I, you, <laughs> I, I, I'm all in, and they even said now they're gonna make maybe two more. Oh, so we will Dear get Triple X. God, oh, no, no, that'll be. They're 30. gonna make. This is the best terminology I heard. They were thinking about making the last one into a trilogy, which talk about minimalizing 12 films into the last one's a trilogy. Uh, it won't stop. You know why? Because you can't stop family, Ty. You can't stop family. <laughs> that, that it's a billion-dollar industry 
on it yeah, man. You know, in itself. All right, here we go. Fast 10. So just so you guys know, according to Rotten Tomatoes, it's sitting at about 57%. Critics? Yeah, whatever. Yeah, the audience reviews aren't in yet because it hasn't opened yet. But 57% with critics. Uh, Would you like bad reviews or positive reviews first? Well, you got to go positive. Yeah. Okay, we'll go positive. All right. Stacey Vaughn from Black Girl Nerds writes... In the Fast Saga, reality no longer exists. Physics nope, is but a concept. Sure doesn't. Gravity an option, and anything is possible, especially if you have a car like Dom's. You should figure that out after part three. One of them, Paul Walker, walks up a car and jumps while it's going down a cliff. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <sighs> yeah. Uh Gregory Wakeman of the National UAE. What really makes Fast X so thoroughly entertaining is the performance of Jason Momoa. The Aquaman star is having an absolute ball playing the dastardly villain Dante. I didn't know uh, Drug Test had a national writing thing. The UA, the National <laughs> UA. Oh, E, E, sorry. E, 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 yeah. I mean, honestly, Jason Momoa will probably be the only thing that will interest me in, like, watching it for a little bit. I just like rooting for the guy. Yeah, he <laughs> should be in it, too. At this point, they, I mean, did you watch Fast 9? Did you? It, they're in space. I didn't watch any of them, really. Oh, man. But I do in... want to watch Fast 9 because they're in space. Yes. They're, they're, they're... Oh, here's, okay, here's a positive review for you that you'll appreciate, Josh. You ready <laughs> okay. for this? You yeah. ready? Emily Zemi, uh, Zemler uh, of The Observer, top critic. Yeah. You'll laugh. You'll cheer. You'll feel for a few hours like part of a family. Yes, <laughs> I told you. Oh man, I, uh, I, they definitely they're in on the bit. I don't think Vin Diesel's yeah. in on the bit, and maybe Michelle Rodriguez, as my wife calls her, Hatchet Face, isn't in on the bit. But I think everybody else. Whoa. I don't know. It's Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> I know. Jesus. Which is a Crybaby, I believe, reference. If you've seen Crybaby with Johnny Depp. Um, she just doesn't like her and Ronda Rousey's face. So that one Fast and Furious that had Ronda Rousey and it really hit home for my wife. She did not enjoy that. She uh, was not a fan. No, just two, yeah, mean mugs. Anyway, uh, yeah. Go ahead. Uh, Tim Roby of the Daily Telegraph writes, uh, these are the positive reviews for Fast and Furious X. Tim Roby writes, Momoa, Jason Momoa, is what these films have been missing forever. <laughs> A flamboyant supervillain, an all-around chaos merchant who likes to perch on the tallest landmarks and dial in carnage. This is the equivalent to a cooking show where they tell a chef, you've got too many ingredients. And then somebody else is like, I think it needed one more. It I'm, needed I'm kind of, something else. I'm kind of digging Mark Kennedy from the Associated Press, his review. And this will be the last positive and we'll get to the negatives. His review is, with a foot in the past, one in the future... And one on the gas, Fast X, Fast 10, is pure popcorn lunacy. Was that too many feet? Oh, excuse us. You wanted logic? I mean, that's, I mean, he's just keeping it real. I mean, it's the same reason I went to see Cocaine Bear. 
I'm watching the trailer and I'm like, this is absolutely insane. It's a movie about a bear who's just swallowing kilos of cocaine. Copious amounts. I mean, it's it's unreal. So yeah, I do expect for Vin Diesel to jump off of a dam, land from the trailer, land specifically at an angle so that he can go careening down the the dam when the water breaks open. I'm like, sure, why not? I mean, they're playing soccer ball with the wrecking ball. I can mean, just, it just can we, can we just admit that the Fast and Furious franchise at this point is literally like an eight year old playing with GI Joes? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it's somebody <literally>. will say, <laughs> I promise you, somebody will say, "Damn, Don," in that moment. "Damn, Don," and he'll just say some stupid reference. It's it's it's. Yeah, I like. I, do you think this? They'll put this review on the fo- poster. This is a positive review. They gave it three out of five stars. But this is a positive review by Jake Cole. Little like white lies. <laughs> the most ridiculous Fast and Furious film yet. Like you could totally put that on the trailer. You and should. We'll be like, yes. Yeah. All right. We'll move on to the negative reviews. Uh, here we go. Johnny Ola Olaksinski. Of the New York Post. Pardon me, Johnny, if I fucked up your last name. Uh, another moronic fast film that plods along like 99 bottles of beer on the wall and features increasingly fake chases. <laughs> increasingly fake chases. See, this guy... I don't think he gets it. No, he does not get it. He does not get it. If you're bored watching these movies, I mean, come on. It's got John Cena. <laughs> 